Hi, I'm Leah Wheatholter, your CEO and founder of Workman Forensics in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And this is the Data Sleuth Podcast. At the heart of all successful forensic accounting engagements or fraud investigations is the analysis of evidence. Best circumstantial evidence in a financial investigation are those sources of information or data that are furthest removed from the influence of a subject. In this six-part series, I'm going to review the most common best evidence data sources in order of reliability by exchanging seats. I'm going to go from host to guest so we can thoroughly discuss this topic with our guest host, Bethany Pigott. If you want to ensure that you uncover facts resulting in defensible investigative analyses in your cases, you are in the right place. Welcome to the Data Sleuth Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Pigott, and I'm joined today by Leah Wheatholter as we dive into topics surrounding best evidence use in cases. Today, our topic is bank statements. Hi, and welcome to the Workman Forensics Podcast. Today, we've switched seats, and Leah is the guest, and I'm your host, Bethany Pigott. Welcome to your show, Leah. Uh, Well, thank you, Bethany. And uh, just for all of our listeners, it's been a little bit, but I wanted to get back recording. And so, Bethany is actually my sister. So if you want to see how much we look alike, because apparently we sound alike, uh, you know, make sure to check out our snippets on our YouTube channel. But I'm excited. Thanks for hosting today. Yeah, of course. So we're going to talk about best evidence for a case. And so the first question is going to be about bank statements, using bank statements. I know that's one of your favorite ways to gather evidence for a case. So what type of engagements or investigations benefit most from using bank statements as evidence? I would say all of them. But to be a little bit more specific, embezzlements, partnership disputes or shareholder disputes, uh, trust in estates, and even divorce. And really the common denominator between all of these is that you have someone who has access to your funds, which are being held in your bank account, and someone else suspects, the owner suspects or someone with a vested interest suspects that there's money missing. So the best place to go find that information is in the bank statements. All right. So why are bank statements so critical to you as the investigator for these investigations? They are the best evidence. If you want to know exactly where money went, look at the bank statements. Because all of these transactions, unless we're dealing in cash, and that's not what we're talking about today, but even when we're dealing in cash, bank statements can be helpful. But as an investigator, I want to use best evidence. I care so much about best evidence. And here's why. My work as an investigator, even as if I'm an internal auditor, anyone who's investigating to uncover what happened to money or to detect fraud, our findings impact real people's lives. And in working that in the reverse, I have been on the side of you know, a defendant in a criminal defense case where they've been accused of stealing money. And it's going to dramatically impact their lives. They're going to lose certain rights and freedoms as an American if they are charged with these crimes. And so I want to make sure as the investigator that I am using absolute best evidence um, circumstantially to begin with, but best circumstantial evidence to put this case together because it's going to dramatically change my clients' lives. Can't tell you how many clients have been accused of certain crimes and best evidence was not used or there was a strategy of just oh if this ha- if we see this type of activity then this other activity must have happened and the must have happened doesn't have any evidence behind it or they'll take the strategy of I'm going to take this all this evidence or all these things I think happen and I'm going to throw it up against the wall and see what sticks that could send someone to prison 
that shouldn't have gone to prison. That's something that's going to change the way children look at their parents. I mean, it just impacts the way the community views this individual. And so I want to be sure that my findings are as accurate as possible and are supported by the absolute best evidence. And that's the evidence that's the furthest removed from the subject. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And um, when you use the bank statements, what do you utilize from the bank statements as you're looking over them? I'm looking for the individual transactions. So if you've ever looked at a bank statement, there is just a list of all these transactions and they're usually grouped by debits and credits. I'm sorry, deposits and credits first. That's at the top. And then it's going to be followed by debits, withdrawals, checks, and then there's usually, if there's checks in the account, there's going to be check images. So, and deposit slip images. So I want to look at all of those line items. And what I'm going to do with that information is I'm going to take all those transactions and I'm going to digitize them and put them into a spreadsheet because I can't filter sort, you know, some from a PDF or from a printed statement. And so I need to create my, as an investigator and analyst, I need to create my own database. And in order to have that underlying database to then do the analytics and and track down the money, I've got to take those PDF statements and I've got to import those. Um, we use a software called Money Thumb, but we're gonna, going to take those statements and we're going to take each line of transaction, each transaction line, and we're going to put that into an Excel spreadsheet. Yeah, that's super helpful and practical for people to understand your process. I know you've written a lot about that in Data Sleuth, so they can look there for more information on what you just described as well. Uh, what would you consider bank statements? How would you consider them more reliable than accounting system data? Yeah, so bank statement transactions are automated. They're third party. There's a banking system that's tracking those transactions and providing those statements. So it's further removed from people that could have different intent and then just even errors, right? So in an accounting system, though, we're taking, this is what accounting is. We're taking transactions that occurred on the bank statement and we're categorizing them to create something called financial statements, okay? So even the accounting system is based on bank statement information. For the accountants out there, they're like, oh no, it's more complicated than that. But that's like fundamentally what this is about. So that's that's one of the things you're going to have in a financial statement. Because of this, it has to be translated, right? Like these bank statement transactions and different loans, things like that, they're all being taken from third-party documents, categorized in an accounting system to then create these financial statements. So the categorization of all of this is done by a human. So it's becoming more automatic, right? Like we can import from our banks and stuff like that now, but there's still a human component. So if my subject, the person who's controlling all of these transactions is the one responsible for putting it into the categorization in the accounting system, then if they're good <laughs> at committing a crime, which is like wrong, but if they're good at committing, if they're good at their scheme, they're going to hide it somehow. So they're going to change the payee. So if it's written to Leo Wheatholter, they're going to change it where it looks like it was written to, I don't know, the IRS. So they're going to change it to something that looks like it has a business purpose. So if I'm relying on what's in the system and that's their scheme, it's going to look like they didn't steal any money. So that's why we want to use where all of this originated from originally, which are the bank statements. Yeah. So is there a situation where you actually might prefer to use the accounting system rather than the bank statements? Or is that even a thing? So sometimes we do rely on the accounting systems. And I'm going to like deep dive into this on another one of these little 
episodes further into the season. But sometimes we're going to use accounting system data when we're talking about a larger company, when it's part of a much larger accounting and finance infrastructure, and specifically as it relates to purchases. So in the purchasing process. So sometimes we're not, if the internal controls are set up where the subject could not have changed something in the accounting data, then we, we might use it. But it, it, because that may not be what we're actually looking for. So I'll go into more detail, but there are instances when we're going to do that. But my first request for most cases is going to be the bank statement data. And the bank statement data, it probably can be overwhelming at times because I'm sure there's tons of things that you could look at. So are there certain transactions that you keep your eye out for to make sure that you review as you're looking at that bank statement information? Yes. I want to make sure that I'm first understanding what my client needs. What are their concerns? And when someone, and I'm going to use embezzlement because that's kind of the most common case. So embezzlement, partnership dispute. So I'm going to look, think about and ask the client, you know, what are your concerns? What, what did this person control? And I go into this in the book and we've got a whole episode on case planning. So make sure to check that out. But I want to understand, did the subject have access to money as it came into the business or as it left the business? So did they control deposits? Did they control any part of that process that might have some sort of fraud risk? Did they control or was there access as it left? Like they controlled writing checks or they paid payroll or whatever. And that's where I'm going to focus. So with that in mind, I'm really going to focus on this conversation on the money out piece is how we, what we refer to it as, because the deposit side is not as common. The easiest way for somebody to steal money is for them to quote unquote, write a check to themselves. Any way that they can write a check to themselves, to a fake entity, maybe through payroll and expense reimbursement, like that's going to be the easiest thing to do because the cover up is so much easier. Now I'm going to kind of take a side trail here for a second. I thought about this earlier in the conversation. For someone to steal money, they have to be able to steal the money and then go undetected. And so a lot of times what happens is they'll test it, right? And then if they go undetected, they're like, nobody even noticed that. So then they do it again and again and again. So a lot of times people will think, oh my gosh, they could have stolen in all these different ways. And it feels very overwhelming. But if you remember that the risk to the thief or to the fraudster or to this individual in a crisis is the risk to them is being discovered, then that kind of helps make that feel less overwhelming. So now, have I had cases where they stole in multiple different ways? Yes, that absolutely happens. But it's not as common. Uh, that's also why conspiracies aren't as common in this field either, or in this type of, in these types of cases, because if you add more people, that's more people that could talk, right? Going back to your question though, I want to focus on the money outside of things and for this conversation, and I'm going to look at all the transfers that happened in her bank. I want to look at anything that's a wire, anything that's an ACH payment. Now an ACH payment are those payments or they're going to look kind of like a debit card transaction, but you'll be able, it'll, it'll say EFT. It might even say ACH, but I'm going to definitely look at those. And then I want to make sure I look at check images. And I'm also going to look at the debit. If there is a debit card, I'm going to look at debit card usage, just like I would a credit card. Great. Thanks so much, Leah. We're going to take a short break. And on the other side of the break, we'll talk more about these transactions, but on the other side of the transaction. Ready to feel like Sherlock Holmes while earning CPE credit? 
The Investigation Game Interactive Case Studies are facilitator-led group training events utilizing case story videos and sample evidence to stimulate real fraud investigations. Participants complete various solo decision-making and investigation activities to calculate the loss to the victim from the fraud scheme. The training concludes with a solution presentation and key findings from the actual case. The interactive case studies are recommended for two CPE credit hours. To schedule a discovery call, visit InvestigationGame.com. All right, welcome back. We're going to wrap up with talking about the other side of the transaction when you're looking at these bank statements. So they on these bank statements, they often appeared, there's a lot of transaction ID numbers. So Leah, can you just tell us what is useful? Like, how can you look at this and distinguish what's going on? On your bank statement, you're only seeing one side of a transaction. Okay. So even if you're using a debit card at Quick Trip, Quick Trip is going to show that as a deposit on their end. Yours is going to show that it withdrew money. It reduced your balance on your end. So there's always two sides of a transaction. So when I'm looking at the bank statement, if I feel like there's not enough information, and I'll get into specifics in a sec, but if I feel like there's not enough information for me to determine where did this money go, then, and because that's what I'm looking for, what was the destination of this transaction? What did it purchase. And then I talk about this in the Data Sleuth book. I talk about how we're going to categorize these things by benefit. Who benefited? If I'm working in embezzlement or a partnership dispute, I'm looking at, did this purchase benefit the company? Did it benefit the subject? Or we don't know. There might be an unknown bucket. When I'm looking at the trying to decide those benefits, it's pretty easy if you see a check that's written to, let's say, in case of the man cave, uh, one of our investigation games, he wrote checks to like car racing vendors. And this was an oil and gas company. So we knew just from the payee on the check that this was not a company expense, right? So we could put this in this category of probably benefited the subject. And then we did some more investigation. But there's other transactions on the bank statement that you can't determine in that way. And that would be your deposits. Anytime there's a deposit, there with the bank statement, with right before you get to the check images, there's images of your deposit slip. So some of that information can be helpful. It can tell you the difference between or how much money was deposited as cash versus how much was deposited as checks. But if they list the checks and even the cash, you don't necessarily know who wrote those checks, what they were for, so forth. So you're going to want to request what we call deposit items from the bank. And if you request those items, you'll have your deposit slip from your statement, but then you will get copies of all the checks that accompanied that deposit slip. You'll also get a ticket that's a cash-in ticket for the amount of currency that was listed on the slip. So sometimes that can be helpful. The deposit item could also include a cashier's check. Anything that was deposited with that deposit slip can be requested and, and obtained from the bank. The other, another type are on transfers. So if I see a transfer, and, and whenever I'm talking about transfers, I'm talking about interbank transfers. So this is money just at the same bank, let's say Bank of America. So I've got several accounts at Bank of America, and I'm going to transfer money from one account, let's say checking to savings. That's an interbank transfer. There's lots of different ways to transfer money between banks these days. I'm not going to get into the details of that. But when I'm talking about transfers, we're talking about interbank. And these are really high risk for fraud. So I definitely want to know where did every transfer go? And here's what we'll see. And, and I was just reviewing an analysis last night where this happened. On my bank statement, I'm going to see a transfer in or a transfer out. And a lot of times it'll list like the last four digits of the account number where it went. It might list the name of the account, so forth. But then sometimes it doesn't include that information at all. And so when I'm doing that, I see that that's unknown. It doesn't need to st remain unknown. 
The bank knows where it went. It is not a mystery. We need to just ask the bank for the other side of that transaction. So if it's a transfer out, transfer out in the account I'm looking at, it's a transfer in somewhere else and the bank can give us that information. The other thing are withdrawal slips. And I have seen this dramatically impact cases because an investigator didn't know this or didn't take it to this uh, level of detail. So with your deposit slip images and your check images, sometimes there are withdrawal slip images. And these are the withdrawal slips. If I go to the bank and I'm going to fill it out and go talk to the teller and I'm going to get cash out, I can also obtain a cashier's check by using a withdrawal slip. I can see the withdrawal slip on the statement, but that's all I know. And I've got the signature of the person who requested it. That's about it. What I need from the bank is the other document, that other side of that transaction to see, okay, I withdrew money. Did I, or somebody withdrew money out of this account. Did they get it out with a cashier's check or cash? And they're going to be able to provide you with a cash out ticket or a copy of a cashier's check. So that's really, really helpful. And and the reason this is important, and I make this distinction, is that I had a case recently where someone was accused of taking out cash because they saw withdrawal slips in the bank statements, but they did not ask the bank for that other side. Well, through my analysis, and I didn't even obtain additional information from the bank, I saw where a cashier's check was deposited. It was very important to their theory on the case that these be cash withdrawals, but I found that it wasn't cash withdrawals because they were trying to say that this person was hiding, you know, withdrawing this cash and hiding it from whoever, the opposing party. That wasn't the case. They were withdrawing this money. They got it in a form of cashier's check. They paid taxes with it. It it was all on the up and up. So that's really important to take that out to that next step. Like I said, these types of things impact real people's lives. When you're looking at a wire, you can actually ask the bank for a copy of the wire detail. And I love wire details. Because it gives me the name of the beneficiary. Sometimes it's going to be, it may lead me to another LLC I didn't know about. It's going to lead me to a bank account because it'll tell me what bank account it was deposited to. I may get an address that I didn't have before. I can do the same with ACH detail reports. These are a little trickier. They take a little longer in my experience for the bank to produce them. Again, we're going to see who received the money, the bank account. It was deposited to the address. Payment processors. So if I see PayPal or Square coming across on a bank statement, if it's pertinent to the case, I can ask the attorney to subpoena this information. So we can actually subpoena or sometimes I've even just had the other party cooperate and I just say, hey, can we sit down and look at your PayPal account or your Amazon account? But that's how you get to that. Square provides really great reports with even GPS. So that's been really helpful in cases as well. Credit card payments we're going to talk about in episode 79 and payroll payments we're going to talk or debits. We're going to talk about those in episode 80. So I'll save the good stuff for those. But there's going to be additional detail for each of these transactions. The bank statement is just where we start. Well, Leah, I think that you have covered bank statements in as much detail as we can in 15 minutes. But of course, listeners can go and look for your data sleuth book on Amazon and read more about all of this and also reference the podcast for other just information and things related to this because you have you got you have tons of episodes um, to choose from. So make sure you go there if you want to learn more. And we will be diving more into some more of these topics like Leah mentioned in the upcoming short series just with Leah in the hot seat as the guest. So thank you for joining 
joining us today and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Data Sleuth podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review wherever you listen. The Data Sleuth podcast is a production of Workman Forensics in Tulsa, Oklahoma. To learn more about our investigation services and resources, please visit workmanforensics.com. You can purchase your copy of Data Sleuth using data in forensic accounting engagements and fraud investigations on Amazon, Goodreads, or wherever you like to purchase books.